the shenanigans in Tamil Nadu Assembly, particularly over the governor's speech, where the governor omitted portions of the speech prepared for him by the government, DMK-led government. And then when protests took place in the assembly, he walked off even before the national anthem was played. Now, that has been buzzing for quite some time. We will look at different aspects of this situation. Number one, the fact that governors and state governments have been fighting. Or let me qualify this further. Governors appointed by the central government, when state government is under a party which is not a part of the central government or is opposed to the central government. Those have been there for a very long time. In fact, those have always been there. Many reforms have been carried out. The biggest reform which happened because of the intervention of the Supreme Court of India was the reading down of Article 356 of the Constitution under which central governments on the governor's recommendation could just dismiss any government. So when the Janta Party came to power, this peaked between 1977 and 1980. Janta Party came to power, so they dismissed nine state governments which had come in from the Congress time. And similarly, in 1980, Mrs. Gandhi came to power. She dismissed nine state governments, which were the Janta Party government, governments of not her party, of parties opposed to her. So those days, governors had those powers exercised on behalf of the center. So the governors have been the center's enforcers or enforcers of the center's political will for a very long time. Just that the role has evolved over time. And if anything, the role has whittled down. So the power they had with Article 356, with the, with the total misuse of Article 356, which is fortunately not possible now, and that has held India together. Otherwise, a federal country like ours would have found found it very difficult to deal with centrifugal pressures if the central governments had continued to misuse Article 356. But now also governors can create a lot of problem for the state government if they don't like each other, if the state government and the governor don't like each other. Now, before we talk about Tamil Nadu in somewhat more detail, because Tamil Nadu is a very unique state in this perspective. So before we get there, let me read out the names of some states for you. Look at the map of India. It's a general political map of India. So look at India's states. You can go north-south or you can go east to west. One thing becomes very clear. So look at states like Tamil Nadu, Kerala, West Bengal, Telangana, Delhi, and then carry on to Punjab, Rajasthan, Chhattisgarh, Jharkhand, and so on and so forth. What you find there is that these are the states where governors are in conflict with their state governments. Now, reason is very easy. You don't have to make much guesswork. That's because these are the states in which parties oppose to the BJP rule. See, BJD rules Odisha. That's not a party which is part of NDA or BJP. YSRCP rules Andhra, not a party that's partner of the BJP or in NDA. But the fact is, those ones are generally friendly with the BJP and also vote with the BJP in national parliament on most issues. So their governors are not hostile. In all other states, there are Tamasha. So Tamil Nadu, we've just seen the Tamasha. Kerala has, is an ongoing story. So governor Arif Mohammed Khan, he and the Penarai Vijayan government have been fi fighting over many things particularly over the appointment of vice-chancellors. And then, at one point, among the more recent incidents, there have been many incidents, including the fact that the governor pointed out people appointed as personal staff, like officers on special duty or PSAs, by left-front governments. They were usually party carders. And then, once they got the job, they were entitled to pension for life. 
So governor has been, has been pointing out and objecting to, to things like this. But you will find in most of these states, one of the key issues on which disputes arise is the appointment of vice chancellors. Because the governor, by definition, is the chancellor of the universities in the state. This confrontation came to an extreme level in West Bengal when Jagdeep Dhankar, who is now the vice president of India, he was the governor that Mamta Banerjee's party government in the state assembly passed a bill removing the governor as chancellor of universities and appointing Mamta Banerjee instead as the chancellor. So vice chancellors, appointment of vice chancellors, university affairs, that's a lucrative thing also, but lucrative not so much for money, but lucrative more in terms of the patronage that you can distribute. And that's where governors and chief ministers have been fighting. This has happened in Punjab also. I'll tell you more about that in just a little bit. But all these states. So I told you about Tamil Nadu. I'll come back to Tamil Nadu. Kerala. After that, Telangana. In Telangana, again, the chief minister, KCR, K. Chandrasekhar Rao, he accuses Tamil Sai Sundarajan, the governor, of delaying six of his bills. One of these, again, interestingly, is the Telangana University's Common Recruitment Board Bill. So this is about recruitment in the universities. I told you, patronage, what is lucrative, etc., etc. So much so that the governor actually demanded that the education minister P. Sabita Indra Reddy should be sent to Raj Bhavan to brief her. Now, that is something that is not done because governor's position is titular. The governor is only supposed to sign what the state government sends the governor unless it's unconstitutional, in which case there are redressals, but not like this, not arbitrarily. So she asked for the education minister to be sent to her, to brief her. That is usually not the governor's remit and KCR objectives. So six of his bills were delayed by the governor, he says. Then he and his party also accused the governor of being involved and using the Raj Bhavan in what was called as the poach gate controversy. That was, that was an alleged effort to poach MLAs away from KCR's party, TRS, which is now called BRS. The governor herself has accused the state government of being disrespectful towards her and also of tapping her phone. And she said, and it's an exact quote, and I quote, I get the feeling that my phone is being tapped. Again, you carry on. West Bengal, we told you, Mamta Banerjee and Dhankar, they famous fights. But the biggest fight was over the control of universities. And that's when she passed that bill in her assembly, removing the governor as the default chancellor of all the universities in her state and placing herself in that position instead. And there were lots of fights. Looks like the current governor and she don't get along so badly. But remember, these are early days as yet. Then you carry on. Look at others. You go back to Maharashtra. See what happened under Bhagat Singh Koshari. He now has perfectly good relations with the government there, state government there. It is, it is the government of the BJP and rebel Shiv Sena or the breakaway Shiv Sena. He's quite happy with it. But when it looked like the Shiv Sena, NCP and the Congress had, were going to be, have the numbers to form a government of their own and the BJP brought in some kind of a quick defection from Ajit Pawar. Ajit Pawar led faction in NCP. He swore them in at very early hour in the morning, the hour at which most people haven't woken up, right? He swore them in almost like in the dead of night. And that's when Fadnavis was sworn in and lasted a very short while. That is a chapter in his political career that 
Fadnavis, Devendra Fadnavis wants forgotten. But that would not have happened without a compliant governor who is then willing to either discard constitutional principles, in any case, who is to be held to any principles of morality, but also to stretch constitutional principles and also misuse the spaces or vagueness that might be existing just about anywhere. So Bhagat Singh Koshyari did that. Again, I bring you to Punjab. The AAP government in Punjab has been in power for just about a year. They've had trouble over the appointment in some key positions, one of which was again at a university. I told you about university. So this is the Baba Farid University, where the Vice Chancellor, Dr. Raj Bahadur, who is a very famous and respected spinal surgeon, we saw him being humiliated by the new health minister of, of the Ahmadi Party government, who asked him to lie down apparently on the bed to figure out how good the facilities were and because of which the Vice Chancellor Dr. Raj Bahadur, who besides being an excellent spinal surgeon, also displayed a spine which rarely happens in government service these days. So he resigned. In place of an, an appointment was made and the state government announced an appointment. The Chief Minister Bhagwant Man tweeted that he had appointed Dr. Gurpreet Wander, who is also a very renowned cardiologist currently in Dhyanand Medical College in Ludhiana as the Vice Chancellor of Baba Farid University, but the Governor stopped it. The Governor said, you shouldn't have done it. You first have to have it cleared by me. You can't just announce it and write a tweet. You had to send me a panel of three. That's the rule. So he held it back. And this fight was not just over a Vice Chancellor. That you might say a key university in the state, key medical university, Vice Chancellor is a key position. It also happened over the appointment of a mere senior superintendent of police in Chandigarh where the police is headed by a full DGP. A full DGP, there's a DIG, although it's not such a big city. In fact, when I used to be a crime reporter there, 1977 to 1980, the police chief was an SSP. Gotham called in used to be the police chief. He's been a writer, a former journalist, a cop. He also has been involved with music, classical music activity. He's around in Delhi. You check him out. He does wonderful work. So Gotham Call used to be the SSP. Just, just an SSP headed the police, but everywhere ranks have gone up. So Chandigarh also is a DGP, DIG, but the important position there is the SSP. So there are two SSPs there. Again, in Chandigarh, you have to make a balance because Punjab and Haryana both claim it and center owns it, right? Or center has it on long lease or maybe an endless lease, it looks like. So, so what happens in Chandigarh is that the DGP and DIG come from what is called as the Agmut Kader. Agmut Kader is like the Union Territories Kader. So they come from there, but the two SPs, two SPs are appointed, one of whom comes from Punjab Kader. He's the SP doing the main work, crime, etc., etc. And the other position has been created to balance it with Haryana. So Haryana can also have an SP and that SSP is called SSP traffic. So that is to give parity to Punjab and Haryana so both states won't have trouble. So the Punjab cadre SSP was removed by the governor. Governor of Punjab also happens to be the administrator of the Union Territory of Chandigarh. So the SSP from Punjab cadre Kuldeep Singh Chahal, he was removed and, and an appointment in his place was not made because that again means that Punjab government has to give a panel of three, a short list of three to the governor and he chooses one because this is this is not a district of Punjab. This is a union territory. But Punjab nominates an SSP by right, but they have to give a panel of three. Meanwhile, it was the Haryana cadre officer who is Manisha Chaudhary, SSP traffic. She's been given the additional charge of SSP 
in Chandigarh as well. And that's the sore point with Aam Aadmi Party and the state of Punjab also. Again, Punjab government wanted a one-day special session of their assembly to take a vote of confidence to show that Operation Lotus had failed. I mean, they, they made a presumption that Operation Lotus had been tried in Punjab and failed. But the governor did not allow them to hold a one-day session. Again, the governor, Banwari Lal Purohit in this case, who is a former MP from Nagpur. He's from Maharashtra. He's been in many parties also. He's been in Congress. He's been in the BJP. So he held it back. And then, while all this Namasha was going on, the governor in Punjab even held a press conference. Those things are almost rarely done. Governors, presidents don't hold press conferences and speak. But he held a press conference to give his side of the story. When he was governor in West Bengal, by the way, Bunwari Lal Purohit, again, there were issues with appointments of vice chancellors in the universities there. As we go on, I count the rest of the non-BJP state governments. By non-BJP, we only count those parties, state governments of those parties, which are actively opposed to the BJP. That's why I told you earlier, no YSRCP, no, no Biju Janta Dal. Now, in Rajasthan, in Rajasthan, the governor and the chief minister have had trouble off and on all the time. At this point, there isn't an active trouble at this particular point, but there's always been trouble. When the Sachin Pilot revolt was going on, governor played a particular role. I don't want to go into that because that would take too much time. That's, that's an entirely different cut-the-clutter Rajasthan politics, which is quite peculiar. But again, in Chhattisgarh and Jharkhand, trouble is going on. Both places, Chhattisgarh Congress is in power by itself. In Jharkhand, it's a Jharkhand Mukti Morcha-led government with, with con Congress as junior partner. Now, both these states have passed their laws in the state assemblies. And these laws, as you know, pass mostly unanimously in all our assemblies and parliament. This is extending, extending reservation for OBCs. So with these new laws, in one state, reservation has gone to 76%, 177%, that is Chhattisgarh and Jharkhand. But in both states, the governors have not given their assent to, to these new laws, in spite of the fact that these were passed, say, unanimously. Because even BJP fellows will be scared to vote against such a law. So in Chhattisgarh, it's Anusoya VK, who is the governor. She, by the way, is also a Congress important to the BJP. She served in the past, I think in 1997-98, as a minister in Arjun Singh's Madhya Pradesh cabinet. So she said no. And similarly, in Jharkhand, Ramesh Bias, the governor, he said no. So both these laws are held up. So see these two tweets that Bhupesh Bagel has put out. These are in Hindi, so I'm also putting English translations of these on the side. He's saying that, look, when we have passed these laws unanimously, increasing reservation beyond 50% in our states, governors have held, held these back. But in the state of Karnataka, similarly, the state government passed a law in the assembly, increasing reservation from 50 to 56%. And again, everybody is using the same question, that if it's one nation, one constitution, one system, then why these different principles are being applied. But in, but in each case, it's the governor who's doing it. In each case, it's a state run by a government which is of a party opposed to the BJP. Which brings us back to Tamil Nadu. Now, Tamil Nadu has a peculiar history. Tamil Nadu is a sensitive state. When we say, oh, what is India's, what are India's most sensitive states? So we say Punjab is a very sensitive state, borders Pakistan. Kashmir is a very sensitive state for obvious reasons. But 
we don't realize, at least the newer generations of Indians don't realize what a sensitive state Tamil Nadu is. In 1960s, when Selig Harrison wrote his famous or infamous book on India going through its dangerous decades, see the title of the book, Jacket on My Screen, he had predicted that India will break up in the coming decades. And why did he say so? The main reason he said so was not the Naga insurgency or the Mizo insurgency or the Punjabi super demand in Punjab that led to the creation of Punjab and Haryana, not that. His main provocation was the Tamil separatist movement. Tamil movement was a separatist movement until the 60s. Then Dravid parties made peace with the constitution of India and participated in the election in 1967. That's when they won power and they haven't lost power since then. In fact, the Congress party last won power in Tamil Nadu in 1962. 1967, they lost power to the DMK. And since then, a Dravid party has ruled Tamil Nadu DMK or ADMK. And more often than not, the party in power, at least since the 1980s, the party in power in Tamil Nadu has had the leading party nationally at the center as its partner, as its junior partner in the state. That keeps the relationship smooth. Right now, however, that is not the situation. DMK has a partner at the national level, but that is the Congress. And both Congress and DMK are opposed to the BJP. And that's why more of this tamasha is taking place in the state. Till the mid-70s or late 70s, some of these angry strands of politics persisted in Tamil Nadu. Although increasingly, Dravid politics was becoming nationalist politics. So they were nationalists, but within that, they had a very strong regional impulse. What helped calm things down in Tamil Nadu was also the changes which we talked about earlier, <coughs> which made it nearly impossible for, for the center to make a draconian use of Article 356 to sack the state governments they didn't like. In the course of time, a comfort level developed between the leaders of the Drabad parties in Tamil Nadu and the national leaders and also the national elites. And that's when this tension over Hindi, etc., linguistic issues, that also calmed down. Lately, however, it has come back. It has also come back because BJP is very Hindi. They, they push a lot of the Hindi agenda and that plays into the old insecurities in Tamil Nadu and Tamil politics. Now you might say, oh, these are not insecurities, this is paranoia, right? But that, that depends on the way you look at this. But this creates trouble in Tamil Nadu. In the middle of this, we have the governor. Now the governor cannot give much trouble to the state government. The state government has a very strong majority. So in this place, in, in Tamil Nadu, no Operation Kamal kind of uh, thing is possible or likely. Also because BJP does not have any numbers there and BJP's partner there, ADMK, also is quite punch drunk and at this point quite down on its knees. They have their internal problems as well. So governor now is creating issues over culture, ethnicity, history. Those are very sensitive things in Tamil Nadu. So what are the things he said? So exactly in the week of the assembly session, he also held a reception at his Raj Bhavan on January 4th, and this was a reception for the organizers and volunteers of Kashi Tamil Sangamam. Now remember, there was, there was that event that took place in Kashi showing the link between Banaras and Tamil culture. That was a way of bringing in a Hindutva connection 
between mainland India, Hindi heartland and the Tamil Nadu. This is politics. Everybody is entitled to play their politics. So he held a reception for volunteers and organizers of that event at Raj Bhavan where he said, and I give you the exact quote of what he said. He said, everything applicable for everything applicable for the country, that means any decision that is taken for the entire country, Tamil Nadu will say no. It's become a habit. So many of these have been written, all false and poor fiction. He's talking about all these critiques of central policies and also I presume the way the BJP approaches the definition of Indian nationalism. He says, this must be broken, truth must prevail. Tamiragam is a more appropriate word to call it. That is the name for Tamil Nadu. Now, what is the difference? He says that Tamilagam, and my Tamil friends, please forgive me if I don't get the pronunciation right, but you get the spelling. Tamilagam means a home for Tamils, right? He says that's a more appropriate name for the state than Tamil Nadu, which means a land of the Tamils, so maybe a nation of the Tamils. But the fact is that in 1967, Tamil Nadu was adopted constitutionally and legally as the name of the state. And he's now raising questions about it. Now, you can raise intellectual questions and arguments about anything. But when you are governor holding a constitutional position, representing the glory of the Republic of India, then these things acquire a different meaning. And there's a, then he goes on to say, the rest of the country suffered a lot of devastation at the hands of foreigners for a long time. Now, I don't fully understand what that means, but maybe what that means is that, does he imply that Tamil Nadu didn't suffer that? I don't know, but that is what he said. Now, that obviously got sharp reactions, and I give you some reactions, but D. Raja, for example, from CPI, not from DMK. See, we can't call it the home of Tamil because Tamil is a language spoken in many other countries, including Sri Lanka, in northern Sri Lanka, but also in Singapore, it's one of the official languages. Vietnam, Malaysia also, there are a lot of people speaking Tamil language. And other people came up with other objections as well. As you would expect, DMK politicians were the angriest. So T.R. Balu, former minister from DMK, he said that governor had no business to say, and I quote, people have been cheated for 50 years in the name of Dravidian politics. Balu says that that's what the governor said. He says this is highly condemnable. He said if he, if he wants to say it, he, he should say it from the BJP headquarters, which is called Kamalalayam in Chennai and not from Raj Bhavan. This is very dangerous. And then he goes on to say the governor, and I quote Balu, governor makes statements about Sanatan Dharma, Aryanism, Dravidianism, Thirukkural, and colonialism regardless of the occasion. Additionally, he makes derogatory remarks about Dalits and even B.R. Ambedkar. However, it is not difficult to understand his real motive. And then Kani Mori, uh, Karthi Chidambaram of the Congress party, they've all attacked him over this. So more important than what he said is what he did not say. <clears throat> so let me read out to you the passage from the speech that the state government had prepared for him. Usually the president will read out the speech that the cabinet prepares for him. The governor will read out the speech that the state government prepares for him. A governor or the president has no authority constitutionally to make a departure from these. That is also the norm. So the passage he left out is the following. And I quote, following the principles and ideals of stalwarts like Thanthai Periyar, Annal Ambedkar, Peruntalaiwar Kamrajar, Perarinyar Anna, and Muamiz Arainyar Kalanjar, this government has been delivering the much acclaimed Dravidian model of governance to the people. So all of this he left out. Of course, he mentioned Kalanjar, that is Karunanadi, somewhere else. But all of this he left out. And that is what has got DMK and a lot of the Dravid parties very, very angry with him. Because this is now seen 
as a case of a governor appointed by the center wading into the cultural cultural slash political issues key cultural slash political issues in the very sensitive state of tamil nadu